You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Wow, great to hear you this morning. I believe that our sacrifice of praise, just your voices, your hearts, that sacrifice of praise is just a sweet aroma to God. I think it just rises up. I think he's pleased by it. I think our hearts are refreshed when we praise and when we worship together like that. I want you to think for a minute just about how powerful the sense of smell is. Uh, Ladies in the room who've been previously pregnant, you know that that just goes up a whole notch when you get pregnant. However, the sense of smell is amazing, right? All you gotta do is walk into a Starbucks and you know fall has arrived because you smell pumpkin spice latte. Just right then, it takes you right into autumn when you smell that. All you gotta do is smell the pine trees and it instantly like transports you up into the mountains and it's a beautiful smell. Or all you gotta do is smell the scent of ocean spray and it like transports you down to the coastline, to the beach. Smells are incredibly powerful. When you catch uh, the scent of the perfume that either cologne or perfume that your boyfriend or girlfriend used to wear back in the day and you smelled on somebody else, it can transport you right back to maybe when you were a teenager and dating a person. You might actually smell the aftershave, which was the same aftershave that your grandfather used to use. And and it transports you back to being like a kid. Again, even if your grandfather has long passed, it just that smell has this ability to make us feel alive in some unique ways. In a world that's full of bad smells, and there's a lot of them out there, I want you to know that a good aroma draws you in and makes you and me want to linger we're in a series called Circles, and we ask the question, how does spiritual growth happen? Hey, does it just happen by accident? Does it happen by time? The, the longer you've been a Christian, you just kind of grow? How does spiritual growth actually happen? What phases do we go through from being a brand new believer to being someone who is living in a more steadfast, more and more steadfast way as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? How do we move through the phases of identity and formation and community and mission. And how do we do that together? We don't want to just be a church of rows. We want to be a church of circles where we gather with other people because we truly believe spiritual growth doesn't happen only alone. It happens within the context of community, a place where you and I can be real with ourselves and with God, and then inevitably with other people. Your identity is always rooted and grounded in Christ's identity. He is God incarnate. He is God become flesh. And when you and I make a decision to say yes to Jesus, we're adopted into his forever family. And we take on this new identity of who God says we are versus who we think we are, who other people tell us we are. And you begin to grow in your new identity and relationship to the Father. And and we ask the question, well, what was the progression then for Jesus to move from being an apprentice carpenter under his dad to becoming the Messiah of the world and ultimately fulfilling his mission. How does spiritual growth actually happen? Well, we're given the first indication that when Jesus was baptized, he comes out of the water and God speaks from heaven and says this in Mark chapter 1, verse 11. He said, And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now before Jesus had done anything, He hadn't really done much of anything at this point. He hadn't certainly fulfilled his mission on earth, but his identity is spoken before he performed anything. And I want you to realize that identity is our acceptance by God before our performance. The scriptures say, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, while we were enemies of him, he died for us. 
before our performance, God invited us into acceptance and into a new identity. So you are God's son or daughter whom he loves and with whom he is well pleased. I want you to think about that this morning. That when you walked in here today, irrespective of how you performed this week, God loves you. And God's well pleased with you. When you walked in here today, he's pleased with you. You're his son or his daughter, whom he loves, and with whom he's well pleased. And we come along and we try to downplay that. But God, I didn't do the greatest this week. God, there's things I should have done that I didn't do. And God, I, I can think of all the sins that I committed this week. And how can you be pleased with me if I have that? And, and we got to realize that God loves you. Your identity in him is secure. You're accepted. You're significant in his eyes. And so often we try to downplay that. Why? Because our identity gets victimized by voices. The voices of other people telling us who we, they think we are. Your identity gets robbed by relationships. And you try to put your identity in a relationship with somebody else and maybe you experience loss in that context. And God keeps calling you and I back to identity instead of other things trying to redefine us. Will you watch this video?
Man, isn't that good news? I don't know about you, but just sitting there watching it, like, I need that. I need to be reminded my identity in Christ. I need to be reminded that irrespective of the voices of others and the relationships of others, that it's who God says that you are that matters. It's who he says that we are. And Jesus comes along and he begins speaking to people who lived in a performance society. That performance society was based on Jewish religiosity. A lot of the Old Testament laws that if you had sinned, you got to sacrifice in these ways to make yourself right with God. And Jesus comes along and begins to pave the road, prepare the road for his sacrifice and ultimately for grace. And he begins to talk to these people and they're an agricultural society. And so he uses a verse that I want to show you in Matthew 11, verse 28. He says this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and, find, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Jesus is saying, attach yourself to me. He's talking to an agricultural society. When he said yoke, they didn't think chickens. They thought that instrument that they used to take two cattle that binds them together so they could do work out in the field. So the cattle don't wander off. They're bound together by this wooden bar and hoops that go under their necks. And it takes two cows and puts them right next to each other. And they're able to do the work as cattle, working cattle would do in that society. And Jesus is saying, attach yourself to me. But here's what you need to understand about what happens when you and I yoke ourselves to Jesus. In agricultural society, you don't take a juvenile cow and another juvenile cow and yoke them together. They'll go crazy. They'll try to run all over the place. They won't do the work at all. What they do is they take an experienced, mature cow, and they attach the juvenile cow to that mature cow with the yoke. And what happens is the burden gets lightened because there's the strength of the young one, but really the experienced strength of the old one. And the older cow will teach the younger cow how to do the work. And the load is shared between the two of them. And it's guided in the right direction. And, and what Jesus is saying to you and to me is this. Listen, you yoke yourself to me. Yoke yourself to who I say you are. And what happens is you do my work, but it's done with me. It's alongside me. It's not all up to you. You've not been orphaned. You've not been abandoned. It's not all up to you and your motivation. But you attach yourself to me, and together we do the work. We participate in the work of God's Holy Spirit as he makes Jesus known to lost people. See, what happens is that a lot of times you and I, we don't yoke to Jesus. We just try to go out there and do it on our own. And then we are tried and we're tested and we're tempted and we fail and then we think I'm a failure in the work of God or as a Christian. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You yoke yourself to me and when you do, you'll find that I will give you rest. That my burden, it's still a burden, but it's easy and it's light and you will find rest in the work that I'm calling you to do, but you must attach to me and Jesus is talking to people who all of a sudden are waking up to the idea of undeserved favor. That they could receive favor from God they didn't deserve. And that they could be accepted by God into a new identity. So we yoke ourselves to him and his leadership. 
Have you ever met a person and you didn't know them ahead of time, but you met a person and as you began talking to them, there was just something about them. And maybe in your conversation, maybe they're at work with you, maybe there's somebody that you're interacting with that's a complete stranger. But over time, all of a sudden, they, you find out that that person is a Christian. And on the inside, you were like, I knew it. Like, I knew that there was something about that person. Like, there was just something going on. I, I couldn't put my finger on it, but I, it makes sense that that person at work is a Christian or that person is a, a Christian. You find out, and you're like, I, man, there's just something about them. And you go, what is that? Do we have, like, Christian pheromones that kind of float out there, and, and you don't know it? They just kind of, like, you know, you see each other, and you're like, hey, are you a Christian? I'm a Christian. You know, what, how does that work, right? So a number of years ago, my family was flying out to Colorado and we bought our tickets way ahead of time. And you know that thing where you're supposed to check in online? Yeah, we forgot to do that. And so we get to the airport and we are like the last <laughs> of the last of the people to board. You know what I'm talking about? Like we get on a flight and the flight's pretty packed and there's five of us, but on the flight, there are no two seats together anywhere. So we're going to get on the flight and it's going to be every person for themselves. Just go find a seat, sit down in it, like find a seat. So I'm kind of in the back and I'm like, arrange it. Hey, my family, just sit there. Just take that seat. Just, you guys will just connect again after the flight. Just, and we're, and we're, you know, going down and I get near the back of the plane. All my family has been seated. I look at the last probably five rows of the plane and it's packed. So I know I got to turn around and go the other way, which is embarrassing because you know that after all the people in the front rows, there were like two of them still had a seat between them. They thought they were in the clear because we walked past them. And now I got to turn around and go back up the row and I've got to be like, sorry, I got to take your seat. So I'm like, okay, Lord, I know like there were two open. So which one do you want me to sit in? Like I could choose, but God, I'm going to invite you into this. Like I'm going to yoke myself to you. You direct me where you want me to go. So there's a seat with an older gentleman in his 60s and a young adult. And I, okay, I'll just sit down next to the two of them. And, and so I sit down in the middle and you know how it is when you get on a plane, you're sitting next to strangers. You don't know what kind of flight this is. Is this a talking flight or is this a headphones flight? You know what I'm talking about, right? Like you got to decide, like you're sitting next to people and all of a sudden they just look at you and they put their headphones. You're like, it's a headphones flight. That's what kind of flight this is. It's going to be headphones all the way. Or is it talking? Well, no one had done anything yet. So I thought, well, maybe it's a talking flight. I don't know. And so I'm sitting there in the middle and the plane takes off and we're going up in the air and, and the young adult gal sitting on my left and the older gentleman on my right, they begin talking to each other and he asked her, well, what's your name and what do you do? She said, my name's Sarah and I'm, I'm going to boot camp. I'm on my way actually right now to boot camp. And he's like, oh, what branch? And what do you want to do in the military? She's like, I want to get into HR in the military. And apparently this older guy next to me uh, was a Lutheran pastor. So I'm sitting here. I'm like, I have got to see how this plays out. I'm sitting next to a pastor, right? You know, like, what's he going to do in this conversation, right? So I just keep quiet. Not that I'm talking, well, he had served some time in the military. So he's encouraging her, hey, you're going to be fine. Like, you just do this and, and ask her a question about her family and other stuff. And so I'm just quiet the whole time. And finally, uh, there's a little lull in the conversation. And the girl turns to me and she's like, what do you do? Sometimes I hate that question on an airplane. But I go, actually, I'm a pastor. She goes, I knew it. She like points at me. She's like, I, I just saw you walking by and I thought to myself, I bet that guy's a pastor. And I'm like, I was not like going down the airplane aisle, like, you know, carrying my Bible. <laughs> you know, I didn't have like Christian music playing through my headphones. I didn't pull out my phone, nothing. Like, like I'm, I don't have a book on my lap, nothing. I mean, like, I'm like, how do you, like, I just don't understand that. How do you know? And we began to talk to this girl. And so she, this is, I think, first of all, number one, she has no chance, Right. 
She's sitting next to two pastors. And then I feel a little bad for the people around us because some of them are going to be like, oh my goodness. Like they're going to put their headphones on. And other people will be really intrigued. Like, oh, I want to listen to this conversation. Because she all of a sudden starts, she's like, I got a captive audience. She starts asking us every question she's ever wanted to know about religion and God and, and all sorts of things. So we started talking with her, right? And the flight just seems to go by really fast because I like those conversations. And, and it was interesting because it was like we were tag teaming her and, and I'm just like talking to her like as myself talking to a young adult. And then the older guy, he talks to her in a totally different way. He's like, at one point she asked a question and he said, well, you know, you know like when you were a little girl and you were baking cookies in the kitchen with your mom? And like you just felt accepted by her and warm and secure in her love as you were doing things together. And she's like, yeah. And I thought I would never in a million years come up with that illustration. But this guy probably had daughters. And so he's talking to her like, remember when you were a little girl? And, and I mean, we just talked the whole way. And at one point we just walk her through what's called the Romans Road to Salvation. And if you don't know what that is, that's about 10 verses in the book of Romans that you can just pull up on your phone. It's called the Romans Road to Salvation. And what happens is you just have a, an unsafe person. They can read each of those verses, and it's very simple to explain. Like, everybody sinned. Sin separates us from God. God made a way through Jesus. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. You believe in his heart that God raised him from the dead. And so you just walk, like these things tell the gospel, and you just have them read one verse each at a time. You kind of explain it, and it tells them how to become saved. And so we walk her through that. Now that day on the plane, she did not get saved. Her name's Sarah. And so I've been praying for Sarah. And it was about three years ago. And she has gone on. We're friends on Facebook. I don't know if she's gotten saved. But all I know is that that day, there was something about us that God made a God appointment on that plane. But there was something that she was identifying that we can't even like put our finger on. Like, how did she know? that we were believers. How do you know when you meet somebody else who's a believer? What is going on there? I think Paul gives us an indication in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. If you have your Bible, open to 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. It says this, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? So Paul is talking, you hear this, you're like, oh, that sounds great. We're like being led by Christ, like he's the victor and we're along with him and sounds great. But you and I don't understand what Paul just said there. Because we don't live in Roman culture. We didn't understand that. What he's talking about there is he's giving them a picture that when he said it, when he wrote it, and it was read to, in the church of Corinth, everybody there could picture it. Everybody there could understand what he's talking about. And he basically says this, God always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. And you need to understand what a triumph is, what a triumphal procession is. In the Roman culture, the highest honor a general could attain is a triumphal procession. In order to win or attain a triumph, you had to meet some major conditions in the battlefield. And those conditions were this. First of all, to get this highest honor, you as the general had to be the, the actual commander in the field. You couldn't be somewhere else and send your troops out and like just delegate. 
hey, you guys go fight the battle. I'm just going to stay here and taste some wine. That's not the way it worked. You had to be the actual commander directing the troops in the field. Second, 5,000 of the enemy had to fall and die during one battle. Next, positive territory had to be gained over a foreign foe. So you couldn't like, this isn't like when there's an uprising within Roman you know, it's territories and you go and quench, you know, quell the uprising. You just put it down and subdue it. No, this is, you had to actually expand the territories of Rome. You had to get new ground. This is against a foreign home. It's not a civil war. It's not an uprising. You had to gain more ground for Rome. Next, the military campaign must be finished. The region pacified and all the soldiers and captives come home. If you made all those concessions, then you would attain as a Roman general a triumphal procession. And here's how it would work. The way a triumphal procession works is that Paul is saying that you and I share in Christ's victory, his triumph, and God uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Well, the aroma, the word there is euoda. And where you get that word, we get the word odor from that. We would say aroma, but that's, we actually get the word odor, euoda, from the, the Greek word. And both the victors who were being honored and the vanquished who were going to be executed had to march in a procession. And what you'd have is you'd have soldiers, then you'd have captives, and then a couple soldiers bringing up the rear. And what would happen is as they walked through this procession, honoring the general, there would be priests who'd be waving censers, and those censers were filled with incense. And they would go by and they would smell the smell. In just a few weeks, somebody in Major League Baseball is going to win the World Series. And here I want to give you a picture. When they win the World Series, they're going to go into the locker room. They're going to celebrate. They're going to put their goggles on and spray champagne everywhere. And alcohol is going to get dumped on their head. Every reporter is going to wreck his suit. I mean, it's just, you know, everything is just celebration and the smell. And always and forever, that smell of that champagne and so forth is going to remind the World Series champions of their victory. It's beautiful. They will always identify that aroma, that smell with that victory. But can you imagine if for just a moment in the loser's locker room, if they said, hey, you guys can't leave, you need to stay. And as the victors were going to leave their locker room, they grabbed all the losers and they said, we want you to march through there with the, with the champions and you need to smell the smell. I'm telling you what, forever when they smell that champagne, it would be the smell of defeat. It's the same scent. It's the same aroma. But to one, it's the smell of victory and to another, the smell of defeat. So in a Roman triumphal procession, they would march by and to those who were perishing, those who would be executed or fed to lions or serve the rest of their days in slavery, it was the smell of defeat. It was a hated smell, that incense that they would go. But to those who won, to the victors, it was a smell of being a champion of having and attaining a triumph. And Paul is saying, listen, you and I are in Christ's triumphal procession and you're spreading the aroma of his victory everywhere you go. And to some people, it's the smell of life. And to other people, you stink. In fact, they think it's, you're offensive because they're perishing. And they can't stand you because of your beliefs. And they don't care for you at all but you and I carry the smell of life to those who are being saved. I just want to tell you that you smell amazing. Your identity in Christ is the aroma that God uses to point people to his reality. 
number one on your outline, your identity in Christ, is the aroma that God uses to point people to his reality. What does that mean? It means you got the God stank on you. That for some reason we have this, almost this aroma that to those who are being saved is the aroma of life. We share in that victory with Christ. I mean, think of it this way. Think of it that when you come to say yes to Jesus and you get God's Holy Spirit in you, you get Christian essential oil. You get this essential oil that's supposed to be good for you. I don't know about you, but in the, in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is described as several different things in the New Testament. One, he's described as wind, the breath, the pneuma. He's also described as fire, like a tongue of fire. He's described as fire. He's also described as oil, which had healing properties and was good for the skin and would be having aroma to it. And when you and I have God's Holy Spirit in us, there is an aroma of Christ's victory. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's main job is to reveal and to point people to Jesus. So what does the Holy Spirit do? What's his main job? Is it to tell you things you don't know? Not necessarily. His main job is to point you and people around you to Jesus. And Jesus' main job is to point people to doing the will of the Father. And the Father with the Holy Spirit and Jesus are three in one, complete unity. God in essence, that's who God is. So you and I have God's Holy Spirit in us. We have this oil, this essential aroma about us that God uses to say, yoke yourself to me, participate in my work and I will do great and mighty things through you. Your burden will be light, and you will find rest for your souls in the significance of what I've called you to do. One of the ways you and I can do that is be authentic. Listen, if you try to be like, I'm a Christian, I have it all together, I just do things perfectly, I know where everything is, let me wow you with all my Bible knowledge, and and you just try to come across as like you have it all together, I'm telling you something, you're not approachable. People can't relate to you because life is messy and people are messy and they need to know that, that you follow an identity in Christ but you have an authenticity that even when you are tried and tested and tempted and you fail that you get back up and you keep following Jesus because of who he says you are and people find that winsome. You've got the aroma of Christ. You're not trying to be out there to be perfect and undo their ideas of what they think a Christian is. See, loving people is not earning God's favor. Loving people is expressing the favor you already received from God. Saying, I got loved when I didn't deserve it by God. And so I'm going to love you whether you deserve it or not. That is the aroma of Christ. And people pick up on that. You already have favor from God because of who he says you are. So generosity is an extension of our identity. Uh, Many of you know that uh, it was about six years ago, I met a district manager for Starbucks, and uh, he was meeting with managers across the street, and I just said, hey, honestly, you guys, like, if you ever need a room, because they're at that big table in Starbucks, and it's all noisy, and, you know, and I just said, if you ever need a room, just come on over here and use it, and so I walked the district manager over, and we showed him around, and I introduced him to our office manager, and just said, give her a call whenever you need a room, and he goes, great, what will it cost, and we said, nothing. Seriously? Yeah, it'll be free. We'll just make space for you, no problem. Well, that morphed from them using a room for a small manager's meeting to training their people at our front counters, It moved from training people at the front counters to getting all their uh, district-wide associates together for several meetings where they reveal their Christmas products and teach the 
people how to sell the Christmas products and do all their marketing for Christmas, and they trained them here up in our studio room. And then it morphed from that to bringing all the Northern California managers of Starbucks into this room and doing their corporate gatherings and training for, corp- for the managers of Starbucks. Let me tell you, all the managers in Northern California know where Sun Grove Church is. And every time we do it for free. Why? Because there's a world out there that tells them that Christians are uptight, that tells them that Christians are judgmental, that tell them Christians don't love, that Christians don't care for who they are, or that they think that they're a part of, you know, against what they believe in their corporate beliefs. And what they find out is that we love people without compromising our beliefs. That generosity is what we've received from God, and we're going to be generous to them. About a month ago, that district manager who's morphed into other roles at Starbucks was here at a memorial service I had no idea that the service we were doing for a guy in our church, that they had been great friends for years. And at that memorial service, that district manager, he's been on my prayer list for five years. He accepted Christ right here in this church. Can you give it up? I'm just telling you, like that's a payday for me. Because I've been praying for this guy and you just don't know. But let me tell you something. Do you think that our love and extension toward them made a difference when he came in here for a memorial and he heard the gospel from somebody who has extended himself to him. Do you think that made a difference? I do. Do you think that over the years they were catching the aroma of the body of Christ when they came in here? I do. Do you think they were feeling accepted and secure and loved even when maybe corporate beliefs don't line up with Christian beliefs? I do. And I think it made a big difference. We need to be the aroma of Christ and we partner with God's Holy Spirit as he's going to draw people to himself, but we yoke ourselves to him, to the work he's going to do. He's drawing them to himself. Listen, you know, they come in here and do all these Christmas products and marketing. I gotta tell you, Christmas is not a product. And Christmas is not marketing, is it? We know. We know that Christmas isn't. But we know that Christmas is Christ, God become flesh, coming to be generous and offer us eternal life through his sacrifice on the cross. And so we can say, you can think it's a product and you can think it's marketing, but we want to give you meaning by our love to the God who loved us when we didn't get it. Do people know your aroma of Christ? Or do they think you're just one of them because you stink in all the ways that they stink too? Would they be shocked? Like, really, you? Because you're as nasty as us. Or do you allow the aroma of Christ through love and compassion, the generosity, an ongoing steadfastness, but even when you make mistakes, you get back up to become steadfast again? Would they know that you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Number two in your outline, authenticity triumphs over self-perfection. Listen, you've got to be authentic. When you tweet or you post a status, don't try to hide your aroma. Like, allow the beauty of what you're sharing. Allow the, the attitude of Christ to be in you when you're sharing. Now, now, please understand me. I am not saying make every post you ever do look like Christian clip art. There are some of you in here that every time you, you, know, you post, it's always got to be a Bible verse. It's always, and that might sometimes make you unapproachable. But could you 
express the generosity of Christ? Could you express the compassion of Jesus to world events? Could you express the love and the acceptance of Jesus in the things you post? Could you have that your attitude would be the same as that of Christ Jesus? Would that show up in your posts? When it is, it's spreading the aroma of the knowledge of Christ to a lost world that is reaching and hungry for hope. Could you talk about what you learn at church with a coworker? Like you don't have to preach at them, but you can imagine if you shared what was helpful from Sunday on Monday. Like, man, I was at church yesterday, and this was so helpful to me in my parenting. This was so helpful to me in how I think about myself. This was so helpful to me in just understanding my kids. And could you imagine? I mean, if you share that, what happens? You're spreading the aroma of the knowledge of Christ. Can you be open about where you struggle and remove that pedestal that people try to put you on? The pedestal of, if you're a Christian, you better be perfect or you're a hypocrite. How about you kick that pedestal out of the way and just love people? You'd be spreading the knowledge, the aroma of Christ. Listen, apologize to your kids. Be authentic with them. Just say, hey, I'm one who's learning to live out my identity, and I don't always do it perfectly, and I got to apologize. You don't have it all together, but it's so much better if you and I learn together. It's the aroma. So what do we do? We step out of the way. We yoke ourselves to God, and God brings us opportunity to share his goodness with other people. You don't have to be a pastor, but I believe that everyone in the room, you are a minister, that God put his Holy Spirit in you, so what happens? You've got that aroma in the areas in which you influence. So a young person, you have that aroma when you're in the high school campus. You have that aroma on you. You make every place you ever go better because of God's Holy Spirit in you. You might go to a party where there's not great things going on at that party, but you have a difference. If you go with the mindset that I make every place I go better because God's Holy Spirit is in me, you're going to look at what you do and how you act at that party far differently, won't you? God, I'm yoked to you and I'm going to this thing and if it gets out of control and crazy, I'm out of here. I need to call my parents. I need to say, hey, I just need to feed the dog and uh, you know, that's code for like, come pick me up now. It's getting crazy. And so you can like get out of that. But there are so many times you and I, no matter where you go, you bring the aroma of Christ into every environment in which you step and you actually make it a better place. There will be some who don't like you because it's the aroma of death to them. But you don't know who it will be in your life that it is the aroma of life to them. On the rest of your outline, we're going to walk through this very quickly. It tells us our identity in Christ what the Bible declares about who you and I are in Christ, and I want you to catch this. If you hear nothing else this morning, please hear these things. First of all, you are accepted. And when you're accepted, a lot of times we say we're orphaned. Oh God, I'm orphaned. Like you've left me to try to figure this all out on my own and I don't get it and I'm not connected with people and I, I've gone to this church, but I haven't connected with people, but I won't join a circle, but I still just have no friends in the church. I don't understand how that works. God's saying, get in a circle, learn together. But sometimes we say we're orphaned and God's going, I'm going to you to capture that lie and make it obedient to Christ. Why? Because you are accepted. Look at these verses. I am a child of God. I am Jesus's chosen friend. I am holy and acceptable to God. I am united to the Lord. I have been bought with a price. I am part of Christ's body, the church. I am a saint, a holy one. Wait, when you came in today, did you feel like a saint or a sinner? Because God's word in our identity tells us we're a saint. Not because we're perfect, because Jesus is perfect. I've been adopted as God's child. No, I'm an orphan. No, you're not. You've been adopted as a child of the most high God. I have been redeemed. That means bought back. Like you were kidnapped and you got 
ransomed. I am complete in Christ. Not only are you accepted, but you're secure. I am free forever from punishment. I tell you, if that doesn't make you secure, I don't know what will. I am sure all things work together for good. I am free from any charges against me. I cannot be separated from the love of God. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm not a citizen of a, of a, of a party. I'm a citizen of heaven. Man, if you lose sight and make yourself a citizen of a party, you're going to get incredibly frustrated in life. Be a citizen of heaven. I am sure that the good work that God has started in me will be finished. I'm hidden with Christ in God. I can find grace and mercy in times of need. I'm born of God. The evil one cannot touch me. You're accepted. You are secure. And last, you're significant. You matter and your work matters. I am salt and light for everyone around me. I'm part of the true vine. I'm handpicked by Jesus to bear fruit. I'm a spirit-empowered witness to Christ. I am a temple where God's Holy Spirit lives. I'm at peace with God. He's given me the work of making peace between himself and other people. I am God's co-worker. I'm seated with Christ in heaven. That's your authority. I'm seated with Jesus in heaven. I am God's building project, his handiwork, his masterpiece. And I'm able to do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Isn't that good news? Listen, I actually have this list. And I put it on the inside of my medicine cabinet and I open it every day and when I'm brushing my teeth, I read this list. Because I need to be reminded who I am in Christ. I need to put this in a place where I'll see it. Why? Because it's so easy to get victimized by voices or robbed by relationships or discouraged by life. And I need to remember who God says I am because sometimes Dave thinks he's not. And I would encourage you to do the same. That you put this somewhere where you'll see it regularly. And you remember your identity in Christ. Listen, identity requires that you move from being a spectator to being a participant. Don't just be accepted and don't just be secure. Be significant. Move from being a spectator to Christianity to being a participant with the work of the Holy Spirit as he puts his aroma in you so you be generous and you love other people in practical ways right around you with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I just want to ask today, there are some of you in this room who you've been seeking, you've been asking questions, and you realize that you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord. You've never said, God, would you forgive me of my sin? Would you adopt me as a son or daughter of the Most High God? Would you change and clean me from the inside and make me a new creation? And maybe today, this is a God appointment where you can ask him today. God offers salvation as a free gift, but he requires that you take a step toward him. And that step is simply like praying a prayer after me, something like this. So with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, you might pray it quietly out loud, or you might just pray it in your heart, but God hears you right where you're seated. You might be in the loft or on the floor, but you just pray this today. Jesus, today I give you me. I ask you to come into my life and make me a new creation. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin and wash me as white as snow. I believe you died on the cross because of my sin and I believe you're God. So I ask you to make me a new creation because today, Jesus, I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.